0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org events.
1: The air we breathe could be cleaner soon, thanks to new EPA regulations on soot. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Think about the smell when you're walking by a bus or heavy diesel truck and the soot that clogs your nose and throat. It doesn't just smell or feel bad. It's also bad for your health. It can lead to severe respiratory problems, even premature death. But the Environmental Protection Agency has announced stronger limits on the annual amount of that soot or particulate matter that can be in the air. That to learn more about those regulations, we sat down with Brian Urbaszewski, director of environmental health programs at the Respiratory Health Association, and Michael Hawthorne. He covers the environment for the Chicago Tribune. Brian started by telling us more about the health complications of soot.
2: Breathing any kind of particles, people would intuitively think is not good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the past, you know, thirty years or so, a lot of the research has shown that it's really the smallest of the particles that are the most dangerous, because essentially those are the ones that can get the deepest into your lungs, to the bottom of your lungs, can actually get into your bloodstream, and that's why you see a lot of health effects connected with them, you know, asthma attacks, more respiratory uh, uh hospitalizations and emergency room visits Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's not just breathing it affects a lot of other things it's connected to things like strokes it's uh, just yesterday I was reading an article connecting it to Parkinson's Um, so these these small particles can go through your entire body and into your brain and cause a whole host of health issues
1: and who's impacted the most here
2: Well, when you're talking about, you know, where is where the highest amounts, um, typically it's in lower income minority communities. Uh, Those are the folks that are living next to highways, next to big freight operations, next to power plants and industries that are the main sources of this pollution.
1: So, Michael, the amount of particulate matter in the air has been declining over the years. But the head of the EPA has said that uh, there's growing evidence that the current standards aren't protecting public health. Walk us through that.
0: So this has been in the making for quite a while. And you can go back to the Obama administration. There's an interesting kind of um, understory or backstory to all of this that, you know, you'll have various administrations, President Obama, President Biden said that science was going to dictate their regulatory agenda. Well, but within that rubric, they can also make some political decisions. So infamously... The science was really clear back in 2012 that this switch standard should be tightened. Uh, the president, President Obama at the time, his administration waited until after the 2012 election mm-hmm. to actually implement that or adopt that. Because famously in a New York Times story that outlined this, Bill Daly, former uh, Mayor Daly's brother, was the White House chief of staff at the time. And he came into the White House with a map that showed the counties that would suddenly fail to meet the tighter standard look really close to the electoral map. And you have kind of a similar thing this year in the sense that Brian and and other health groups advocated for a standard a little bit lower or a little bit more stringent Mm -hmm. than the one that the Biden administration just adopted. And just my own look at the data shows that the difference between eight micrograms per cubic meter of air, which mm-hmm. is what Brian's group and other health groups were clamoring for, right. and nine micrograms per Which is per what cubic the EPA
1: meter. settled on. Yeah.
0: There's a huge difference in what parts of the country would be out of whack, would be in violation. And conveniently, politically at least, and also I guess from a health standpoint in this sense, there are... Only 59 counties, according to the EPA data, based on the last three years of monitoring data, that would be in violation of this nine microgram per cubic meter standard that the EPA just announced.
1: I see. Um, and just so we're clear, I mean, why why did they choose the nine over eight, Brian, in your view, obviously, as when- as, as the one pushing for eight?
2: When they put out the proposal for tightening the standard, which was a long-standing process. And again, to hit on what Mike said, uh, I mean, the last time this was updated was 11 years ago. Right. Uh, And during the Trump administration, they sort of uh, condensed, uh, condensed the process, fired a lot of people, uh, did a hurry up process and decided to not change the standard, which was then re up. That decision was reanalyzed by the Biden administration is not following the right process and the right scientific you know a uh, process that you need to evaluate the standard which led us to you know almost 3 years later you know here where we're doing it now um but the the EPA looks at the science and essentially they said we want to look at a range of 9 to 10 uh for where we would set the standard mm-hmm. and um they said they would look down to the level of 8 but they weren't including that and i think it was a measure of what they felt was a Robust scientific record. I see, um, but you know, it's there is science that shows that that amount would be would save a lot more lives. I mean, the difference between nine and eight is you either save forty five hundred lives or you save about ninety two hundred lives. So it's about twice as many people would live with that one change, which, which is is
1: huge, right? I mean, right. We, with this eight micrograms that we or nine micrograms rather that we we've settled on here, uh, the EPA is saying that. Over 4,000 premature deaths will be prevented. I mean, how would these lives be saved, Michael?
0: Well, essentially, if people aren't breathing as much soot, they're not going to have the same health problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like Brian said, you know, this is really important, especially in communities of color that are near the sources. You know, Chicago, for example, we have a lot of freight yards a lot of intermodal transportation there's a lot of diesel trucks and a lot of diesel locomotives coming through there during the pandemic i actually wrote a story about how while the whole world was cleaning up Mm -hmm. because you know basically economy shut down during the pandemic uh you know places there were infamous or famous photos of uh, people in india being able to see the mountains for the first time in decades in Chicago, we didn't see any of those health benefits because freight still kept moving through Chicago and the rail yards were still operating. And while the standards that are being proposed are for large metropolitan areas or counties or, you know, in some cases states, um, what's not addressed are these spikes of pollution in these neighborhoods that are hit, disproportionately by this pollution. So EPA actually did some research a few years ago at a near and around a rail yard in Cicero, Mm -hmm. predominantly Latino low-income community. And while technically at the time, the Chicago area as a whole complied with the standards in place at the time, there were these incredible spikes of soot pollution at different times of day based on truck and train traffic. And people nearby I mean the you know homes are right across the street from the from from this rail yard Absolutely. Uh, and we found in an analysis that uh, of the rail yards in the greater Chicago area more than 80% of the people living nearby are either black or Latino so that's not being addressed with this standard it will it will lead to it, through other rules cleaner cars cleaner factories uh, other things, industrial facilities, but it still doesn't address necessarily the concentrations that are close to home for people at risk probably the the most.
1: So Brian, how are industries expected to make changes to meet the standards? How would that part work?
2: This is a sort of slow moving process. So the EPA is officially adopting the standard. And probably within the next two years, the EPA is going to make a decision which areas around the country officially don't meet that standard. It's going to label them as what we call non-attainment areas. You're not meeting the standard. It's a bad air quality area. And once that designation happens, uh, which could happen for Chicago, could happen for the East Metro East St. Louis area, could happen for other areas in the Midwest, mm-hmm. um, that starts a clock ticking where the, the EPA gives them a set Number of years to meet the standard. If you're just over the edge, uh, you may only get three years. If it's really bad, you're Los Angeles. You may get something like six or nine years to mm. meet that standard, um, and you have to figure out how to do that as a state. I was going
1: to say, how will it be enforced?
2: It's um, it's federally enforced. So essentially, if you if you if the state says we're not going to clean up, we're not going to do anything to reduce air pollution within our borders, eventually uh, the federal government can cut off your funds to build roads from the Department of Transportation.
1: What so did
0: you learn about this, Michael? My in terms of this, the just, enforcement. Oh, just overall in terms of my years of reporting. I mean, it, this issue of soot and air pollution smog. You know it's a big deal here in Chicago, especially, mm-hmm. and and it's so. You know I've become, uh, you know, unfortunately in, in some re- respects, uh, painfully familiar with all the vagaries and and weird regulatory language uh, that are uh, that that's associated with this. Brian and I can actually have a conversation now that is mostly acronyms, or or <laughs> or obscure sections of of the federal code, um, but but all of that together. You know it's an established process, and and I I think I want to point out that with with both soot and with smog ground level ozone, you know there are all these dire predictions from industry each time these standards are are tightened, and and as an aside the Clean Air Act requires the EPA. You know, Clean Air Act of 1970 was passed by a bipartisan overwhelming margin of Congress. Uh, signed into law by president richard nixon so it wasn't exactly like some kind of socialist dictatorial kind of thing coming down um but it requires the epa every 5 years to look at the science and say hey is this is this good enough mm. and almost every time they look at it it's not good enough but what's the good news is is the the dire predictions of industry have never come true And, and, you know, different groups than than Brian's have actually shown that economies like Chicago's have grown Mm -hmm. while pollution has declined. And what what the EPA is basically saying here is, hey, you got to keep working. You got to keep working at this. You got to keep chipping away at other sources. And in some cases, that means we're going to have more electric vehicles. That means less soot. You know, if we we especially electrify the transportation network in Chicago, that's going to be a make a huge difference. And then it's, you know, how we get our electricity, all these things together um, through basically other regulations will lead most likely to gains in clean air Mm -hmm. that usually, based on past experience, won't take as long as people think. What
1: are the dire predictions from industry about (laughs) stricter standards?
0: Well, you know... The American Petroleum Institute, which is the uh, the trade group, main trade group for uh, oil per- or oil companies, you know, it's going to send jobs overseas. It's going to ruin the our national security. It's, mm, okay. you know, all this kind of stuff. It's going to push jobs to polluting countries. That's that's essentially what they say.
2: Yeah. And th- they don't like to talk about people dying, Uh, you know. And saving thousands and thousands of lives—that's not really their interest, you know. You know, it's interesting too. I mean, you look at the economy that's happened in Illinois. I mean, we're building electric vehicles here. I mean, there's a there's a factory in Bloomington Normal that has put out over fifty thousand electric, you know, trucks and vans. Mm-hmm. There's an electric school bus factory in Illinois. This is coming, um, and you know, we really need our elected officials to sort of push to make sure that those electric vehicles show up here on our streets and on our highways in Illinois, and they don't simply go to California or New York or the other states that have adopted programs to make sure that more electric vehicles are sold within their borders.
1: Yeah. Uh, So we've talked about cars being a big emitter of of PM 2.5. So we understand, will people have to make changes in their their daily lives to, to meet the standard, like emission tests? for cars will that change yeah that, that that's
0: not really a a, a thing anymore okay um, we've we've mostly uh, moved out of the uh, vehicle testing and that was mostly for smog uh, cars especially are so much more clean than they were years ago that it's not necessarily a, a, a big uh, contributor to that problem it's it's really on industry to to deal with this and 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 then and then the thing that the Clean Air Act doesn't really deal with very well is, you know, they can go after, say, the BP refinery in, in Whiting for emitting too much soot, which, mm-hmm. which the federal government has done several times and probably will again very soon because they had a, had a big disaster recently where the power went out and um, there was just all kinds of pollution that they haven't quite tallied up yet coming out of that refinery. Yeah. True story. Yeah. but well, a week uh, ago. But from the vehicle standpoint... And and from indoor standpoints, you know, I wrote several years ago, uh, Brian will remember this, about metro trains. And when you're commuting into Chicago to Union Station, for example, the levels of diesel soot on the tracks is pretty high, way higher than than scientists would say is acceptable. Mm -hmm. But the law doesn't get at trains and cars and trucks the same way that it gets at a factory or a power plant or a refinery. And so, essentially, you have to encourage newer, cleaner vehicles, newer, cleaner locomotives, newer, cleaner, uh, heavy-duty trucks to clean up our world. And and, and there's money out there to do that.
2: Yeah. And essentially, I mean, there's two ways to approach cleaning up vehicles. One is you, you have fossil fuel vehicles, and you make them cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And eventually, like... Like Mike said, I mean, you get to cars that are pretty clean, you know, but they're still producing some pollution. Right. And every day a vehicle is driven, it gets dirtier because parts wear out. The pollution controls stuff you know, don't work as well as they did the previous day. So every mile you drive something forward, it's more polluting. There's a lot of polluting vehicles out there. The beauty of electric technology, and we're seeing like electric trucks, electric cars, electric semis. We're even seeing metros looking at electric trains. Right. Uh, we have electric CTA buses and pace buses. I mean, that eliminates the problem. I mean, you know, an electric bus driven now or driven 10 years from now is not going to produce any air pollution. And because of the CJA legislation that passed in Illinois a couple of years ago, um, we're seeing we're we're closing down coal plants. We're closing down gas plants, the Mm -hmm. old fossil fuel plants that make this air pollution. And we're replacing them with solar wind batteries, zero emission sources. Right. So essentially an electric vehicle right now doesn't have a tailpipe, isn't producing any pollution. It's polluted producing some pollution indirectly from those power plants, but as those fossil fuel power plants go offline and we get zero emission electricity, essentially, every year going forward, an electric vehicle gets cleaner.
1: So our next steps then to really ensuring clean, healthy air, what would you say?
2: I think the state can take a a big leap here and adopt those clean vehicle standards for cars and trucks. And which would make more of those vehicles show up faster here in Illinois on our roads. And that would help reduce this soot pollution.
1: What do you think, Michael?
0: I I think he's right. Uh, You know, the good news is, even before this uh, most recent energy legislation was adopted in Springfield, um, our coal-fired fleet used to provide, you know, a big chunk of the state's electricity. It's almost gone now. Mm -hmm. It will be gone by the end of the decade. And uh, it's not like the lights are going to go off. We've got plenty of electricity still. Uh, the legislature has taken uh, on its own to, uh, well, not on its own after lobbying by ComEd to to um, subsidize our state's nuclear plants. We have more than any other state in the country, and they've also been approved to operate longer. And so those those you know those plants are running twenty four seven. They're not emitting any. Carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. heat-trapping pollution. They're not emitting soot. Of course, there's other issues with like you know nuclear waste and uh, you know safety things like that. Minor issues. Yeah, but 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 in terms of soot and and climate change pollution, wow, we're in good we're in a good position there. And potentially, if we you know the 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 the, the line is let's electrify everything we could be in a great position as a state to benefit from that
1: yeah and, and that was sarcasm for those listening uh real quick thoughts from both of you before we go on what, what you'll keep your eye on next
2: well the designation whether chicago and other areas in illinois actually violate this standard um and if they do and epa says so and labels us uh, certain areas as dirty air areas that starts the process of like, okay, what do you do to clean it up? Mm-hmm. What are you? What rules are you going to put in place? Which industries are going to have to start to cut pollution to get to the point where we do meet that standard within several years? And just because you know we've been fighting for this for eleven years to get it to, to nine, uh, you know, five years five years down the road is another battle, right. and we're going to keep pushing for eight, if not lower. Uh, and the World Health Organization uses five as a benchmark, so there's always room for continued improvement. Yeah,
0: there's there's more to do, Michael. I think the one thing, the kind of the the elephant in the room is is wildfires. We had you know a lot of wildfire fire smoke last year. Mm-hmm. Industry will say that that's the the root of the problem. EPA can deal with that. They can already deal with that by what they declare is an exceptional event, and so it doesn't count mm-hmm. against a city. the The experts who deal with this though, they're still trying to figure that out. And which areas have been influenced by wildfire smoke and somehow could, you know, be Uh, I guess penalized as a result of that and and what's just the regular soot pollution that's out there and that that can be done and it's already being done right now
2: just just one point on that too there's there's actually two standards that we're talking about we're talking about that the eight nine is an annual standard and then there's a daily standard and EPA didn't Fix or change the daily standard. They only adjusted the annual standard. So we had all these, you know, situations last year with a lot of wildfire smoke, but that was only for a very short period of time. So in the grand scheme of things, we're still looking at the the regular, ordinary, everyday sources that are there, 24, 7, 365, that are causing the 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 majority of this problem.
1: We'll have to leave it there. That is Brian Urbaszewski with the Respiratory Health Association and Michael Hawthorne, a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. Thank you both
0: so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
1: This conversation was produced by Linnea Dominic, edited by Meha Ahmed, and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. Do you want more conversations like this? Well, don't forget to subscribe to the pod so that you never miss a new episode. We bring you conversations daily, with an extra special podcast on Saturdays. And if you want more Reset, check out our newsletter. We break down the latest stories and put events happening across the city on your radar. Sounds like your cup of tea? Well, visit wbez.org/resetnews. That's it for this episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.